Do you know what it says that Abraham did when he realized that they had his nephew? He said, I got to protect him and take care of him. And it says that Abraham had 318 trained men that he took and armed and they went. And with the help of God, as God being their general of their thing, those 318 trained individuals defeated an army of between 100 and 250,000 men and the spoil and returned Lot back and his family to their home. And so all I'm saying is you just got to be prepared. God wants us to do our part, and then he takes over through the preparedness. And so we're just trying to make it that everybody's safe. When it, if anyone here has a heart attack or if you get to feeling sick, if you, you, your heart gets to racing, we've got things to, that can check you out, and we've got EMT personnel trained to do that. So um, just know that, that your safety and love comes first, and then we cover it all with prayers of God, and we rely that God is really the one who is the overarching thing among everything. And with that, I also say about prayers for all of our folks before we get into the lesson. There is such a wave of negativity and negative stuff going through our nation, through our homes, through our, our news, through our individuals, through our minds, through every possible thing right now. It's the middle of winter. It's the, the heart of, of the bad times. It's, I mean, we've got so many things. Now's the time that that armor has to be put on and the praying up has to be done. And we had a, a few people this week that have asked for our prayers, and we've put several on the Facebook page. And I know that there's a lot of you that, that don't mention anything, so I want to know that our prayers go to you too when we, when we do those, that God knows who needs our prayers. But uh, I've got uh, Elijah, uh, Karen, Lisa, Big Eddie, Sarah, and Greg that we're praying for that was specifically mentioned to me this week. Um, Greg and Sarah and Big Eddie and Karen was on our Facebook pages for prayers. Greg, it, the prayers really helped, didn't it? Amen. If you can, if you can hear that, uh, Greg had a heart attack at work. They rushed him into the hospital, didn't know what was going to happen. But immediately calls went out and prayers went up and the Facebook page went up and over 300 and some people have responded on there. And the prayers go up and by the time he gets to the hospital, they do a stint. And by the time his wife can get there, um, he's coming out. Amen. Praise God for those prayers. Our sister Karen Stevens that sits back over here, you may not know, she's such a gentle soul and such a, a quiet individual, but she's had cancer in the past, and she had part of a lung removed, and, and she has to be on auctions and, and what? And heart problems. And she hasn't been out as much because of those underlying conditions, but she ended up uh, catching COVID from... Um, probably some of the grandkids or something that visited because they she's not really sure but um, they rushed her to the hospital this week and um, her oxygen level was down what 50 to 60 somewhere in there I mean if you know oxygen level things it shouldn't go below 
like 90 or 92 or something. They want to keep you 96 and above. You get down to 50, 60, wow. And they wanted to put her on the ventilator, and uh, they, they turned the oxygen up, but they started telling her, we're going to have to put you on a vent if it don't get better. But, but all of your prayers went up, and they went out, and God responded in a, in a big way. I'm going to read you what I got this morning because pulling in, I sent her a message on Instant Messenger because I seen a little green light there. And I told her that we're going to be praying for you this morning as a body of Christ again, Miss Karen. And how are you doing? We're praying you're getting better and better because yesterday she got better. And this is what she wrote me back at quarter till 10. Yes, I am. God is awesome. They've turned down my oxygen levels going in and she's staying above 90. Doing so much better. Tell everyone thank you for the prayers. I'm going to tell you, your prayers mean something. People rely on these prayers. And we've been praying for Leroy's wife and family. And uh, Miss Lisa that sits back here, her back has had something to go out on it. Uh, and she's got to go this week. Another one that we had on there was Sarah. And I, I love to give you these praise reports so that you know and realize the, the impact that you're having. Miss Sarah that we put on there, just put it at that, but it was a friend of uh, little Eddie and Christian that would sit back here. And uh, she just turned 17, had a brain tumor that they had to remove. They still haven't got the word from the pathologist on its status. But she showed me the picture. They didn't want it out for everyone, but they showed me the picture, and they, they shaved the whole half of her head, and the scar runs completely around. But we got word back after all your prayers that they don't have the report back yet, but the MRI showed that everything's gone. That whatever it was, it looks like they got everything, and we're just waiting for the good news of the report as well. But thank you for your prayers. They mean so much to everyone. And as we say that, let's go to our Father in prayers as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. Father in heaven, we, we've humbly bow and we've, we've praised you with our reports of your answering of prayers and we've praised you in song and we praise you in prayer. And now, Father, we're getting ready to glorify you through your word. There's nothing more important than the word of God. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more important. It is the one thing along with your Holy Spirit that you left for us to make it through this world we're going to see some of your promises today father we need to rely upon your word more and more as we go through this life so I pray father that right now your Holy Spirit is working among your body of Christ here that is preparing our hearts and our minds to receive a feast like none other because your word is manna from heaven. It is what is to sustain us 
each and every day. So, Father, we pray for this manna to come in and to revitalize us and to rejuvenate us. And may we see your wisdom, your power, your planning. You separate yourself from all others by saying there is no other God by me. And the way that I say that is I tell the end from the beginning. I know the end before it ever started. No other one has that knowledge. And by proving it over and over with my promises and with my word, I maintain that I alone am God. And so, Father, we take in these promises today and these things that were so prophetic for the time when Jesus came that this is another way that we latch on to these and we see your love all the way from the creation. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth for us. And, Father, may we rejoice in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, we're going to be in Genesis 22 this morning if you want to turn there with us and get ready. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the foundation for everything in the word of God going forward. It lays out that foundation. It lays out everything from beginning to end and it all comes back to here, to the beginning. That's what it means, the beginning of things. And last week we finished up chapter 21, like I said, and I got to look and I was like, Man, I can't move on from this. I, I got to share with everybody at least something out of Genesis 22. Now, Wednesday night, I may go in a little deeper because today's lesson is not an exegesis. I'm not going to go word by word and tell you what it meant and, and some things like that. I'll do that on Wednesday for the, the ones who want to dig deep as a Bible scholar type thing and just really get down in the word. Today, I want to give you what is uh, some similitudes of this. What, what was going on? Because everything is a foreshadowing of something. And I've told you that so many times, but it's, it's good to reemphasize that it's a foreshadowing. It, it was telling something that was real at the time, but it was also pointing to something way more important in the future. And so the things we read about in the Old Testament is is concealed and the new testament reveals the true spiritual meaning about those things and i've shared a couple of passages with you before like galatians chapter 3 verses 24 to 27 that tells us that the old testament is just like our schoolmaster that was to bring us to christ it was a schoolmaster to teach us things so that we would understand the things of christ when he would come or romans Chapter 15 and verse 4, which would say, whatever things that were written aforetime, that's whatever was written in the Old Testament, was written for our learning today that we, the body of Christ, through patience and the comfort of these scriptures, that we might have hope. So these things are to bring us hope. It's to bring us faith. It's to bring us peace that we can rely on a God who knew the end from the beginning and was this great in being able to write this story over thousands of years and it's never been disproved. And now I want to lay a new scripture on you. I love this one. Okay. Quit it. We ain't putting up with that. Hosea. Hosea, can you see? Remember, if 
By the dawn's early light in chapter 12 and verse 10, God says there, I want you to know this, people. I have also spoken by the prophets. I have multiplied their visions. And I have, for what purpose? Because I used them as similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Similitudes. These things are similitudes of something else. That means it represents something similar, but future, and with way more impact. It's kind of like what they call a type versus an anti-type. And in some of your uh, uh, versions of the scripture, it even says one of these anti-types as an anti-type. And I'll share that with you in a minute. But let's, let's talk. An anotype or a similitude is like the Passover lamb was a similitude or a type of what? Jesus, the lamb of God, right? So that lamb was really had a deeper meaning going forward when it was Jesus, the lamb of God. What about um, Jonah? You remember Jonah and that 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 true event I I always hate to say story because it was true it's a true thing and we and a lot of times people think when you say story that it wasn't but this is a true event Jonah went into the deep got swallowed up by the great fish went into his belly he was there three days and three nights and didn't get digested so then he got regurgitated back out after that time that was a similitude of what You remember in Matthew 12 what Jesus said? Oh, you guys, you seek for a sign. All the time you want a sign. You want signs. The only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. That just as he was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the ground three days and three nights. And then I'm going to come back again just like he did. So there's one of your similitudes or your types that was there. You had Noah and the flood. And this is the one that tells you about that anti-type and type. Because it says that there was a time when the ark was being prepared in the days of Noah. Wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Whereunto the anti-type. I've been used to quoting like figure is what the King James uses, the like figure wherein to baptism doth now save us. Not the washing of the filth of the flesh, but through faith in the works of God and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It actually uses the word anti-type in several of the translations because that's what it means. There was a type, and then there's something that it really reflected as the anti-type, as the negative that's going to carry more distance. And that's how we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22 today, if you're there with me. You know, uh, as you turn there, 1 Peter said, uh, that was 1 Peter about that. So now, let's begin in in, uh, Genesis chapter 1, or 22 and verse 1, and we're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to see the similitudes that's in this for us today. I pray that you take a hold of this, and that you see the wisdom of God in it. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And I want you to think as you go through this, could I have done this? Could I have been faithful in in this right here? Abraham, God said. He said, 
Here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him and with Isaac, his son. He split the wood that would be used for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. That's how we know that they're all good old boys like us. Because we're going to go yonder and worship. And we will meet you back here. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. And he laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. And he said, hey, my father... And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, father, the fire and the wood, we, we have all that. But where is the lamb for the offering? Hmm. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went on up together. And they came to the place in which God told him, and Abraham built an altar there. And he placed the wood in order on the altar, and he bound up Isaac, his son, and he laid him upon the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand to take the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him at that point from heaven and said, Abraham... Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now that I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw that there was a ram that was caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Yireh, or God the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn says the Lord, that because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son, blessings I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea on the seashore, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. I got to interject right here because it ain't on these similitudes. But whenever your descendants, the body of Christ, that's us. We're part of those stars of heavens and the sands of the sea that's descendants of Abraham. It says your descendants shall possess the gates of the enemies. 
And Jesus there, when he asked Peter and said, who do men say that I am? And he said, some say that you're Elijah or Moses, one of the prophets. He said, who do you, who do we say to him? He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, Amen. I'm going to build my church on that rock. And I want you to circle that rock in your mind because we're coming back to it at the end of this, okay? But upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth that he's the Son of God, I will build my church and what? Prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because you have believed in me, Abraham, your descendants will possess the keys to the gate of their enemies. We in the church will not have the gates of hell prevail against you because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And in your seed shall all the nations be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelled at Beersheba. And I want you to notice it didn't say nothing about Isaac, did it? I'm going to come to that at the end. I'm saving that. But it doesn't say anything. Now think about this passage for a minute. Just think about it. What would your response be at that odd request of God that I want you to do this? What, what would, you, would your first response be, here I am. And early in the morning I saddled my donkey and got on with it. There's only one reason that Abraham could do this. You know why? It's one reason before we get into the similitudes. It's verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. Uh, next, uh, next slide is verse 1. I'm going out of order here. But in verse 1, the first, first thing that it starts off with, it came to pass after these things. If you was here on Wednesday night, you'd have saw that... Hagar and Ishmael went out and their water ran out and their bread and she put him under a bush to die, her son, her only son. And she went off a bow shot away over here and cried because she just knew he was going to die and they were going to die and she couldn't bear to see that happen. You know what was the difference between her and Abraham and Isaac in this one? Exactly. Faith, belief in God. And what is it about faith and believing God that you believe in? The promises of God. His word to each and every one of us. Because he had told Hagar and Abraham both that Ishmael, though he is not the son of promise, I will take care of him and make him a great nation and he'll have 12 princes. He hasn't had a child yet and she's already seeing him as a dead man. So she did not believe in the promises of God and she fell to pieces whenever the, the thing happened. Whenever your tragedy, whenever your hardship, whenever something bad happens in life, do I take the promises of God and know that he's got something working for me 
or do I freak out and cast him underneath the bush and just say it's over? The promises of God made the difference. Abraham didn't get this faith in just a moment of time. We've studied him. I look back. We've studied him since about December of last year. And from chapter 12 on up to now in 22. And he made mistake after mistake after bad decision after bad decision. And he has went all over the place. But now he has finally become mature and believing in the promises of God. And he remembers now back and see God even reminds him of the promise that he believed in because he said in chapter 15 I told you about Lot and being prepared and how he went with 318 trained men and beat 200 and some thousand soldiers but the next chapter comes and Abraham's depressed and God comes to him and says why are you depressed I'm I'm going to make you a great nation I'm going to give you a son he goes he goes but first he said, why are you so depressed and what's going on? I am your shield and your provider and your protector. And Abraham said, how can I trust in you to protect me? Because what he thought was, was Cad Eliomer and all these guys was going to come back and invict revenge on him. And so after your great victory, spiritually, usually you have the letdown and you're preparing for the worst in the attack of the enemy. So Abraham is all in his funk and depression and God says, I am your shield and your protector. Didn't I just do it? And you know what he says? Abraham says, Lord, how can I believe in that promise if I ain't even had a son? That seems to be so easy. And I've prayed and prayed for that, and you haven't delivered on that. So how can you do the big thing if you don't do the little thing? And God says, come here a minute. And he takes him outside, and he shows him, the stars, it's nighttime and it's dark and the stars. And he said, I'm making you a promise, a covenant relationship. That as the stars of heaven are innumerable and you can't count them, so shall it be with your descendants. It took 20 years to get to Isaac and he made mistakes thinking God wasn't going to honor that but guess what when God finally honored it at 100 years of age he now believed that God can do anything so we'll find out on Wednesday night that this is probably Isaac's probably 25 to 30 years old he's not no little baby well our minds have been kind of taken away by our coloring books in in the in the kiddie classes as we grow up and we're thinking it's the little little boy this is a grown man that's carrying all this wood here up the hill and he's had time to trust in God and believe in these things he's still not had a son yet so you know what Abraham's faith is right now I'm going to believe in the word of God because I've had a promise he delivered on his promise to bring me after 25 years to bring me a son he said that son's going to have through his seed more than the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea. And so I am trusting in that. And so as he gets on this journey of these similitudes, what Abraham is saying to us by faith is, if you believe my promises, you know that I am going to work it out for you. And whatever problem you've got is my problem. Because Abraham is now saying God's got a problem. That's why he says the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice because God has a problem 
He has promised me that this son will have more seeds than the stars of heaven. And if he is telling me to offer him up right now, then God's got a problem on how he's going to bring him back to life and to deliver on his promise or he can't be God anymore. And so he's resting on the promise of God. And that's why instead of being like Hagar and falling apart, Abraham gets up early in the morning to see what God's going to do in his life. And he gets on his donkey. And he saddles it up and he takes the two young men and they get going. And now we can get into our similitudes of what this great passage of scripture actually means. Because that's what it means when after these things came to pass. That's the history of where we are in this now. And so now we've got the genuineness of his faith as 1 Peter 1, 7. He's being tested to see if, it's, if it can stand the test. And if it does, it's more precious than gold by standing through this test with God. So are you ready? Here we go. Verse 2, if you're there with me in Genesis 22. So God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you. Whew. How about this first one here in that verse? In both cases, in God and Abraham and Isaac and Jesus, it will be the father who has to willfully offer up his son as a sacrifice. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. You see the similitude on what he's asking Abraham to do here. He's asking him not to do something that he has not already planned to do himself. Number two, it is called the only son. You know why? Because they're the sons of promise. It's the sons of promise, but not only that, it also means the unique one, the one of a kind. And you see, what was so special about Isaac and his birth? Abraham was a hundred years old, sexually dead. Remember that? The womb of Sarah was dead. So it was a miraculous thing of God to enliven that and to create life. What happened with Jesus? Mary was a virgin. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived. Both were unique sons to the father. Number three, in both cases, the father loved the son so much. Both are sons of Abraham via divine intervention. I want you to hear what Abraham said in his heart about this. Abraham, our father of faith, it says in Romans 4, who contrary to hope and what you think should happen, he believed. He was not weak in faith and didn't consider the deadness of his body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith and then he gave glory to God, being fully convinced. Now here's what Abraham thought. He was fully convinced that what God had promised God was able to perform. Every promise of God written to us, over 7,000 of them we learned on Wednesday night, we've talked about before, are for us 
and every promise God is able to perform them for us. And when that happens and you believe it says, therefore, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Both sons had to leave their home and travel on a journey to get to the place to where they had to do what God wanted them to do. Abraham and Isaac and the two young men had to saddle their donkey and they had to go three days journey to Moriah. The Lord Jesus Christ left his home in heaven. Traveled down here to become one of us on earth. So that he could go to that same mountain. Wednesday night we're going to see that this mountain in the land of Moriah. Moriah means God sees and God reveals and we're going to find out that this mountain on there on the Moriah is called in the New Testament Golgotha. So the same exact hill that Isaac went to bearing his load of wood on his back to be the offering of burnt offering. Our Lord Jesus in the similitude of that came down made the journey to go up on top of the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull, to be the offering of God. And he carried his cross as much as he could along the way, just as the wood was put on the sun. Both were offered as a burnt offering. Now, I'm going to get really deep here with you on this one because I've hinted at it before. It says this was a burnt offering, and a burnt offering means you're burnt up for what is a burnt offering it was for sin and it was to be burnt up the the whole thing Christ in that three hours of darkness on the cross he never let out a word he was like a lamb silent before his shearers through all of the beatings the scourgings the whippings everything that happened to him the nails into the hands and the feet the thud of the cross in the body when it hit the when darkness came and my sins was upon him. And he was judged for that. Hebrews, he screamed out. Remember, he screamed. It's the only time. And Psalm 22 prophesied that this would happen. And it said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he screamed in pain because his death was spiritual. He says it is finished before he dies physically. So his death, there's two deaths. There's a spiritual and a physical. And that cross was representing that spiritual death for my sin. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For what? The suffering of death, the spiritual death. So that he could be crowned with glory. That by the grace of God, he should taste death. For every man. And that means that he felt the heat in that darkness. Of what it was going to be like in the darkness of the lake of fire. Where it says that there is utter darkness. And the pain. And the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it was then that he tasted death. For every one of us. And by tasting what it was like. He became the burnt offering for my sins and for your sins upon that cross. That's, what this, that's why it was the burnt offering that we're going to offer up. 
Both were offered up on the Mount of Moriah, the hill called Golgotha, as I said, and we're going to see that Wednesday. Don't forget, don't think about the slide. I, that's, I said, okay, we're going to go Wednesday on that one. Abraham rose up early in the morning, verse 3, if you're following along. That was just the similitudes in verse 2. Verse 3, he rose up early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and the, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place that God had told him. Both cases, there was a donkey, wasn't there? Here's a donkey on the journey. You remember when Jesus came in on that Palm Sunday, he was riding on what? A donkey. He said, I want you to go find him. He said, I want you to go find the, the foal of the ass, and I want you to bring that donkey where on no one has ever rode on, and I want you to bring it here, and I'm going to ride it in. There's a donkey. It was saddled up. Both had two men accompany them. Remember the two thieves on the cross? He took two men with him on the journey. Abraham, verse 6, took the wood. Oh, another part of this is both believed in the resurrection. Because he said, when he left the two men there, he said, the son and I go to worship, but we will be back. So he already believed that God was going to bring him back to life. That's that faith and that promise. God the Father knew that he was going to bring the Lord back to life. That was the joy that was set before him. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. So the wood, the burnt offering, he was laid upon Isaac. The Lord bore his cross out to the hill. The fire, that was just explained in that three hours of darkness where God judged him. The knife, that was going to be used, well, we had nails pierced the hands and the feet, and we had a spear that pierced the side all the way through the heart. Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. He said, Here am I, my son. Look, well, there's the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Both Isaac and Jesus questioned the father about this sacrifice and this offering, didn't they? Isaac, where's, where's the lamb? Jesus, his prayer in the garden. Father, if there be any other way, if there's another lamb, if there's another sacrifice, please let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but thine be done. Verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. I want to tell you something in the original language. It's not a similitude, but it's a fact. In the original language, that word for provide is to see and appear. Jesus. He says, God will appear for himself to be the sacrifice. That's what this is actually saying. Jesus appeared for himself to be the sacrifice. God provided from himself the lamb for the burnt offering. 
And then it says, they went together. That's unity. The word there means to be united in thought. Isaac believed the words of his father, and he submitted to the will of the father. The Lord Jesus Christ believed in the promise of God that this is for the sins of many to bring you sons and glory. And so he went united to that cross on my behalf. And both were submissive to the will and the word of the Father. Verse 9. Then they came to the place which God told him, and Abraham built the altar, and they placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar and upon the wood. So both sons were placed upon the wood. Jesus on the wooden cross is his altar. Isaac upon this one. Both were bound. Isaac was bound with cords. But we seem to think that Jesus was bound by what? By the nails, wasn't he? But as I was writing that down, you know what the Lord revealed to me? I could have called 10,000 angels. I could have spoke a word and I could have come down. It was your sins and the forgiveness of those sins that bound me to the cross. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Until that happens, you are bound. And so I was bound by your sins to the cross so that I, the truth, could make you free. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Because Abraham had stretched out his hand to do the will of God. And he had grabbed the knife and the angel cried out, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he says, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything. For now I know that you fear God and you have not withheld your son your only special son from me both fathers were willing to give their son they didn't withhold him from us that is the love of God revealed in this passage verse 13 and then Abraham at those words lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns so Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it for the burnt offering. Instead of his son, God did provide the lamb as Abraham said, didn't he? And God provided the lamb for us as well in his son. I want you to know in both cases, the lamb represents a substitute. That ram caught in the thicket that now Abraham grabbed and used as the burnt offering was a substitute provided by the love of God for his son. God provided his son, the lamb of God, as a substitute for me to taste my death so that then I can be made the righteousness of God through him. So both of them were a substitutional sacrifice for something else. Both rams. The one in the thicket got caught by the thorns. Around his head and horns. My Lord because of the curse of sin. Remember in Genesis. Because of the curse in chapter 3. 
you're, you're going to make bread by the sweat of your face and it's going to grow thorns. This ground is cursed just like you are and you come from the ground and you're going to go back to it. And, and my Lord had to wear the crown of thorns because that was the crown of the curse that he was going to be king of my curse, the curse of sin that it has upon us. The good news in a similitude is that both sons ultimately survived in a way were resurrected, weren't they? Isaac was already dead in the eyes of his father and in the eyes of God when that hand was up. But he was resurrected from there. It's funny how it was after the third day of journey too. Our Lord Jesus, after three days, was resurrected up as well from the dead. Abraham in verse 14 then calls the name of the hill Yahweh Yireh, or the Lord will provide. And again, it's the same one. He will appear for himself and you will see. Calvary, Golgotha, is the place where God appeared, revealed, and did the greatest thing for us. Verse 14 continued, He will provide, as it is said, in the mountain of Jehovah. Remember I told you a minute ago to, to remember this. In the mountain of Jehovah, it shall be provided. And the word means also revealed. Your salvation is revealed upon that mountain. On that mountain called Golgotha, your salvation, the Lord appeared. And that is now the mountain of Jehovah. And it was provided for. It was revealed and I could break out into some preaching right now because right now I need a little good news like we've said. i got to wipe these eyes and I've, I've got to say I'm done with some of the similitudes. I want to preach for a moment because right here at this, this came upon me and burst upon me just like a water balloon popping. And it says, in the mountain of Jehovah, it's going to be provided. And that mountain provided not only salvation but one day that mountain again is going to be the focal point of the universe when the Lord returns amen it's going to be oh listen up now Isaiah Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4 and if you took pictures of the Berean chapters these are your Berean chapters and they both start out the same exact way look at it it shall come to pass in the last days in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, what did we just find out was the mountain of the Lord's house? It's Jehovah Yireh. It is the place where Isaac and Jesus were. It's the place where God is going to be revealed. And he says, in the latter days, in the mountain of the Lord's house, there shall be established on the top of that mountain, and it will be exalted above all the hills. All nations will flow into it, and many people will come and say, come. Let us go into the house in the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. He, we will walk in his paths, and out of Zion there is going to come forth a law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he's going to judge all of those nations, and he's going to rebuke those people, and they're going to beat their plows, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation's not going to rise up against nation and no war anymore. Amen. How about that? The Lord is going to establish right there on the top of that mountain where the Lord was crucified. In the mountain of the Lord's house, this is going to be established. Oh, I ain't done yet. 
I ain't done yet. How about we go to Daniel then? Daniel chapter 2. I love this chapter. And you remember Daniel chapter 2. That's the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream. And it was the idol. And it had the head of gold and the breast and stuff of silver and bronze. And then it goes on down. So he couldn't, uh, no one could reveal it. All of his astronomers, all of his soothsayers, all of his astrology people. No one could figure it out. Daniel came and he starts telling him about it. And Daniel tells him there as he gets going on there and down around verse 34 in, uh, in chapter 2. He's saying, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, he explained which kingdom was which. And as he went down, he says, while you were watching your vision and your dream. And while you was looking at this, you saw something. You saw that there was a stone, a rock that was made without hands, that struck the image of the feet that was made in the toes of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Every single nation is going to be crushed and become like chaff in the wind of the summer threshing floor, and nothing, no trace will be found of them forevermore. And oh, that stone, are you listening? Who's your stone, folks? Who's your stone? It's the Lord Jesus Christ upon this rock. I will build my church. He is the rock. He is the stone. And it's cut out of the mountain of the Lord's house. And he says that rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to come and crush all of these nations. And he says while you was watching it, he was the one made without hands. He's the son of God. And that stone, it's the word of God says, becomes a great mountain. The mountain of the Lord's house that will fill up all the earth. And then you keep reading because after he said that, and he says, now I'm going to give you an interpretation of this dream, O king. And he says, in the last days, in verse 44, that the toes, the feet that was mixed of iron and clay, that in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up his kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and it shall stand forever. Praise God. The great God. Look what Dave, uh, Daniel now says to him. The great God has said it, be it known to the king that it shall come to pass. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Folks, this similitude of Isaac and Jesus and the cross is all to bring you and I through faith to the kingdom of God that's going to be established there upon that mount. The kingdom of the Lord's house that we're going to flow into. It's the everlasting kingdom of God where we will ever be. As the worship team comes on up and we close this out. I told you I was going to save one more similitude for the end. And I think I told you to circle it at the very end of our study there. Do you remember what it was? Where's Isaac? Remember? Because it said that... Uh, you know, Abraham went back down, he got with the two, and they went back home, but there's no mention of Isaac. Oh, gosh. There's no mention of Isaac until chapter 24. Chapter 23, we read about his mom, Sarah, passing away. And Abraham asking his servant, to go search for a bride for his son. The next time you see Isaac is when he's receiving his bride. 
the mountain of the Lord's house. And when it comes and smashes these kingdoms and sets up the kingdoms, the Lord's coming back to receive his bride too. You don't hear from him again until he comes to receive his bride. The other similitude that ends this story that's almost forgotten by everyone when they go through. Just as you don't read again of Isaac until the bride comes. We're not going to see him again until he comes to receive you and I as the bride of Christ. In the days of those kings when the mountain of the Lord's house, the stone will take over. Oh, praise God, right? He's coming back for us and it's a promise that we can stand on. Let's pray and Father. We thank you. Our hearts cannot express the thank you for your son. This foreshadowing and these similitudes that that this true event of chapter two and what they did or chapter 22 is revealed through you and your son. It was given there for us in our learning and what the motions that Abraham I'm had of for sure is the same ones that you have too for your son that you love and that you gave. And the son loved us so much that he was obedient to your will and he tasted death so that we might live. Father, thank you for such grace and love and mercy. And I pray that if there is any here that your Holy Spirit now has been moved upon them that they want Jesus, the rock, their lamb, their salvation that they would come forth as we said that that first anti-type in, in Peter where Noah and the ark was an anti-type that where Noah and the family were saved through the water that like in Christ we are saved through the water by baptism. Not the washing away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of the good conscience towards God. Father, if there are those here that have not done that may you move mightily upon the heart to have them to come forward this day and desire to do that and to be a part of that kingdom, the bride that your son is returning for. And for those who have, we are the bride that's awaiting the glorious day of your son to come for the bride, Father. So I just pray, Father, that you prepare us, prepare the bride, make us pure, make us the bride that our Lord desires to come and return and take him to himself. And we pray that you help us while we battle in this life for that end, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.